Welcome to ASHTA Resource Q&A. We're taking time to discuss construction materials testing and inspection with people in the know. From exploring testing problems and solutions to laboratory best practices and quality management, we're covering topics important to you. Now, here's our host, Brian Johnson. Welcome to the podcast. This is another Frequently Asked Questions episode. And with me today is our special guest, Mary Kay Sumner, uh, one of the laboratory assessors with Ashto Resource. She's got quite a bit of experience handling this particular topic, so I thought she'd be good to, to help us out. So Mary Kay, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's, it's good to be here. And here is your question today. This feels like a game show host situation. <laughs> Mary Kay, we get a lot of questions from laboratories. This usually is something leading up to the uh, on-site assessment uh, or currently the just assessment that's going on. Who actually needs to be present during the assessment? Well, the most important person I think that needs to be present during the assessment is the technician. Who is going to perform the, the testing, the standards for us? Also, a lot of labs like the lab manager, who may not be a technician, to be present, but they don't have to be. The professional engineer does not need to be present, although it is nice for us to meet them if they're available. Yeah, that is the, that's probably the where the question comes from usually, is the technical director is often uh, wearing a lot of hats at the laboratory. Uh, they may be a project manager uh, that has to go out in the field, or they may be tied up with some other issues, and th but they want to be involved, typically. How does that work when you're out there in the field in normal times, uh, performing an on-site assessment, and the laboratory says, hey, uh, we would really like to, to pause this or reschedule this because our technical manager is not available. What do you tell them? Especially for an on-site assessment, because of my scheduling, our scheduling as assessors, we can't really pause an assessment at that point. And it really isn't necessary for the technical director or the professional engineer to be at the assessment. But if, like I said, if we'd like to touch base with them, either it could be on the phone or nowadays it could be via Zoom or some other way. And as long as we know who they are and that they are working at that site, either via the organizational chart or some other document to prove that this technical director is at this site. Yeah, that's a good point that you can do it even if it's not during the assessment. You could always have a follow-up conversation with that person that wanted to be there, right? And kind of answer any questions or maybe even go over the report uh, afterward. Have you ever had any experiences like that? I personally have not, but okay. I'm sure it could happen. And I would be more than willing to do that with a lab or for a lab if they needed that. If the, the technical director wanted to have a conversation with me, that would never be a problem. Yeah, I'm not sure that we've we've run into that too much, but I think that's something that laboratories should consider when, before they request a reschedule because of somebody who may not be directly impacted. 
or impacting the outcome of the assessment, maybe that is something that can be offered to them. Another question, we're, we're doing the remote assessments right now, primarily, and you've got some uh, added complications. So, so right now, it's not just the technician always, because you know they, they could have just the technician with a tripod, but often they also have somebody who's like the camera operator. In your experience, mm-hmm. you've done, well, first of all, how many of these remote assessments have you conducted so far? At least 20. At least, okay, so you've got quite a few under your belt. What's been the the breakdown of tripod camera operators and uh, physical camera operators? I've had I've had a mixed mixed bag of it. Sometimes they will use a laptop, which props itself up, and then other times I have a cameraman or a woman, and they'll follow me or follow the the technician and. Uh, the challenge with that is not to get car sick. So I've, I've had both. And it, and the only time that it seems sometimes to fade out is if we go outside to do nuclear gauge or something. And then you switch from Wi-Fi to data. But oh, and then it gets kind of it can get a little choppy. But usually the person, the other person uh, operating the camera or the phone is a technician normally. Now, what do you do? I'm sure you've had this question posed to you before about people wanting to be there that can't be there. Uh, what What do you do? You know, if somebody's nervous about being the only one, let's say it's a technician is in a situation where they're concerned about being the only one present during the assessment. What can you say to put them at ease? I just let them know that it's not necessary for the lab manager or the technical director to be holding the camera or right there as they're performing the test. I have a way, I think, of putting people at ease just by my what I tell people, what I say to people. I just try to, because I I understand being nervous because I get nervous when I come into labs because I don't necessarily know the technicians, they don't know me. So there's a little nervousness on my part too, even remotely. I've heard that actually, because uh, I, I do get to see some of the feedback that comes in and you have a disarming uh, way about you when you go into the laboratory from what the labs say, uh, which they really appreciate. And I think that's part of the reason that you were suggested as the guest for this one is that you're very good at putting people at ease. I know I'm feeling relaxed just uh, talking to you right now. Well, thank you, Brian. It might be the monotone of my voice. I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say I'm also very much at ease, Mary Kay. So. Yeah, I can Kim, just I can just I can lull you guys to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was I was going to say something. Kim was slumped over uh, a second ago. Right, she's waking up. Waking now, up. Though. Actually, I'm going to okay. wake up to ask a question, Mary Kay. For an assessment, you have at least one technician, correct? You can have multiple technicians. So it's whoever, you, is it who gets to pick the technicians that are running the test? So is it the assessor gets to pick which technicians are running the test? Or is do the laboratory say, I want Peter to run this test and I want Alexander to run that test? Usually, if we are on site, we in no way dictate who runs the, the test. It's whoever the lab feels is the best person, or perhaps that they are the person that always runs that test. 
you could be the technician that has to do proctors all day. And then that person is the person that's going to run the test for me. Uh, remote assessments, it's something that we talk about when we're planning, when we have the dry run, which is to make sure that the Wi-Fi connection is capable of, of taking care of the camera and everything we need. And then th you have a conversation at that point uh, as to which technicians are going to run which test. And it helps you set up your agenda. It's definitely communication between the assessor and the lab. And that's who is chosen. And most of the time I follow the, the lab's lead and they, they kind of tell me who's going to run the test. That, that's good to hear, Mary Kay, that all of that is very uh, self-explanatory and expected because I know there are times where people who you would not expect to be performing a test end up trying to perform the test. Uh, and what I mean in particular are, are sometimes a supervisor will want to step in and say, uh, I would like to present this test. And even though that person typically is not the everyday performer of that test, and I don't know about you, but in my experience, that person usually fares much worse than what the actual everyday technician would have, even if that technician was very nervous about demonstrating the test. Have you ever had that experience? I have, actually. And I can usually tell if the person isn't normally the person that runs the test. I can just tell by how often they have to look at the standard or if I ask a question they may not be able to write off answer it which and that could happen with a very seasoned technician as well because of the nervousness but and it is open book open note phone a friend during the assessment so as long as the technician isn't just reading the standard then they they can uh, look at the standard if they they aren't sure about the answer but nine times out of ten that technician knows that answer that's been my experience. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I think that's advisable. Anytime you're in a situation where uh, the assessor is coming to your laboratory, if you're the lab and you're trying to figure out how to organize it, it's best to go with who knows what they're doing, uh, who's been trained and, and understands the protocols and the equipment. I'll, I'll never forget this one time when I was an assessor. I went to a laboratory and the technician was getting ready to demonstrate something and and they actually had a regional manager who showed up, and this was totally out of line, uh, but the regional manager stepped in and decided that they would run this one test, ended up breaking the equipment uh, because they oh weren't gosh. familiar with it. And the whole time, the technician is just looking at me, shaking his head as the guy is stepping in to break the equipment. <laughs> and that was a great lesson for me to learn as uh, as a bystander and I took that with me as a as a demonstration or an explanation for for future laboratories that I visited when somebody tried to step in to demonstrate something that they really shouldn't have been demonstrating for the assessment. Wow, I've never had an experience like that, but I bet that that regional supervisor didn't have uh, compi valves either. No, no, <laughs> definitely not. And yeah, we we've got we've got some. Uh, much better systems in place now, I'd say, to set laboratories on that right decision-making path, uh, just with all the pre-assessment work that goes into the assessments now. Then, and I didn't have that when I was an assessor. 
Um, but it sounds like it's working for you because that seemed like it was all very self-explanatory and straightforward in your experience. So I'm glad to hear that. It has been, it has been. And I, I do think with the pre-assessment helps in planning the agenda as well, because you know who's certified if they're going for an ASTM quality standard. So you can match the the certifications with the ASTM quality standard as well as the competency evaluations. Very good. Hey, any any last tips for the laboratories out there about this topic? I don't think so. I'm going to interrupt here. I have a question that we didn't get yeah. to. So there are different, obviously, different parts to the assessment. Who should be there at the open meeting? We've discussed who should be there at the assessment, the, the technicians running it, but then who needs to be at the closing meeting as well? That's a really good question, Kim. And I have had where I've had opening meetings with the lab manager, no technicians are there, which I would rather have the technicians involved in the assessment at the opening meeting as well, because I kind of, I let them know how it's, how it's going to go down, how it's going to happen. And I also try to make people feel at ease. This is the part where my, uh, my superpower comes in. And I try to make people feel at ease, but also so they, they understand what the expectations are for me and I from them. But then so then we have the assessment. And again, only honestly, only the technician needs to be there. And the closing meeting, that's kind of up to the lab. Because I've had closing meetings where the technicians weren't there at all. And it was just the lab manager or the owner or the professional engineer, whomever is in charge, so to say. And sometimes they just don't want the technicians at the closing meeting. Is there a best practice? Is there one that you would suggest if someone was just like, who should be there? Like we know now who's required, but who should for best practices, especially at the closing meeting to, you know, like the follow-up after the assessment of, you know, is very important. So is there any one for Brian or Mary Kay that should be, that you would recommend be at the closing meeting? or no all right I'll, I'll jump in on this one so so I, I'd say for the in a, in a really effective closing meeting you want to have the person who's going to be taking part in in resolving uh, any of the nonconformities that were written in the report uh, and who has some authority over how that laboratory operates so if there is a problem or if there's a uh, an acquisition that needs to be made, if there's a, a future purchase that needs to be made, like a big one, uh, you would definitely want that person to be aware of all the details, be able to ask specific questions of the laboratory assessor about what went wrong. It's also a good opportunity for them. There's some sort of training issue going on or some other uh, systemic issue that they maybe they never knew about even when they performed it. it let's say it's the quality manager. Let's say a quality manager performed an internal audit and didn't catch something and Mary Kay caught it, uh, they'd want to be able to have a follow-up conversation with that assessor and, and, and learn more about what's going on. So uh, I'd say that would be the optimal situation from where I sit. Mary Kay, I'm sure you've seen lots of best practices, worst practices, and everywhere in between. Uh, what's the best situation you've experienced? I'm going to have to agree with everything you said, Brian. Definitely the person that is going to be responsible for resolving any nonconformities. 
And also, so they understand about the observations, if they have any, and what that means moving forward and for their next assessment. I try when I'm doing my closing meeting to just drill that in about the observations. Although they don't have to resolve them now with a quality analyst, make sure that you take care of this internally or, and I just had it happen where an observation just turned into a nonconformity because for whatever reason, it wasn't taken care of. So that definitely the person that's responsible for taking care of the, their quality manager, whomever, whatever title they have that needs to do that. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And I, I think one that is not uh, discussed very often. Uh, I don't hear a lot of conversation going on about that from the laboratories, but Kim, mm -hmm. any other questions? You've been asking some very good questions, by the yes. way. Why, thank you. Um, I thought it might be helpful to recap in 30 seconds of who needs to be there. So if someone's only going to listen to 30 seconds of this podcast, they can get the, the gist of it. So I'm going to ask the question one more time and concise answer of who needs to be at the opening meeting, assessment, and closing meeting. Who do you recommend? Mary Kay. All right. For the opening meeting, I recommend the lab manager, especially if they're the one I've been in contact with. So we can kind of get to see who, who each other is. If they're available, that would be great. Also the technicians involved in the assessment. So I can give my spiel and we can, if they have any questions they can ask me, I can ask any questions that I have at that point. Uh, during the assessment, obviously the technician that's performing the test needs to be present. And then the closing meeting, as Brian said, uh, definitely whomever is responsible for the resolution of the nonconformities, if there are any, from the assessment and moving forward, who's going to uh, take care of the quality issues or any other issues that are there. Very good. And uh, thanks again, Mary Kay Sumner, for being our guest today on this frequently asked question episode of the podcast. Thanks again for being on. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Ashto Resource Q&A. If you'd like to be a guest or just submit a question, send us an email at podcast at ashtoresource.org or call Brian at 240-436-4820. For other related news and content, check out Ashto Resource's Twitter feed or go to ashtoresource.org.